as you turn there, hopefully you're there. Um, I've listened to a number of sermons this week uh, during my time of study of this passage, and um, one sermon by Dr. John MacArthur was particularly helpful to me in just understanding the book of Isaiah and also uh, the structure and even some of the structure of this sermon. So I want to give some credit where, where credit is due there. Um, throughout the, the sermon, I'm going to be saying, look at verse such and such. Uh, we're going to be all around this first part of Isaiah in chapter 5, 6, and 11. Um, and we're going to, I'm, not, I'm going to say that unabashedly. Uh, it's a lot of scripture, but it's important. Isaiah is going to lead us there. Uh, so do me a favor, keep your Bible open and, and follow along with me as we read uh, from this prophecy of Isaiah. So stay with me while we're in the scripture. So hear now the word of the Lord uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eyes and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we need to see you clearly this morning and see ourselves clearly that we might turn and be healed. I pray that you would do it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, last year I had a bad day that turned into a good day. I had been working much 
and sleeping little. On a Wednesday morning, after four hours of sleep, I drove to another city for work. On the way home, in the afternoon sun and 15 miles of stop-and-go traffic, I got drowsy. I tried to pull over a couple of times, but I was, I was hemmed in on every side by the other drivers trying to navigate the same traffic. At some point, the foolish way I had been living my life and the surrounding circumstances, they worked together against me. I fell asleep. As traffic progressed, the large truck in front of me moved about 50 yards ahead. I slept. And while other drivers were probably trying to warn me, honking and yelling, I slept on. And friends, it was a deep and satisfying sleep. Now at some point, my foot slipped off the brake and I drove directly into the back of that 18-wheeler. The bumper on this truck in front of me was a solid chunk of steel, so massive that it didn't even dent when I hit it. But the front of my little truck shook and collapsed as it collided with an object of significantly greater substance. It was like slingshotting a rotten grape at the Washington Monument. Destruction. And with the crushing impact, I awoke disoriented in a cab full of smoke. My truck was undone. As I sat there, helpless and shamed, the reality of my situation came rushing upon me. It was a wake-up call. I realized at that moment that the way I was living my life was leading me to destruction. It was a bad day. But this bad day became a good day because God used the clarity of this moment to change my life. In our text this morning, Isaiah has a wake-up call. And it's a wake-up call of far greater significance than get more sleep. In the presence of a being of infinitely greater substance and holiness, Isaiah is shaken from his slumber to a full realization. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the beauty of grace, and the glorious future which awaits the people of God. Now, this event in the life of Isaiah, it did not happen in a vacuum. Sometimes we read this passage and we think, wow, that's, that's great. Uh, I should really pay more attention to that. Listen, the first five chapters of Isaiah's prophecy paint a picture of a nation gone sour. The national heart has grown cold and hard. Both kingdoms, Israel and Judah, are plagued with sin and rebellion. And the vision that God has given Isaiah is a mingled mashup of justice, judgment, and salvation. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Incredibles, 
there is this great scene at the end of the movie. The oldest son of this family of superheroes, his name is Dash. He is fast, lightning fast. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And Dash wants to compete in track to live out and, and use this amazing gift he's been given. I mean, he is so fast, but his mom won't let him compete because it won't be fair to the other kids, right? Well, long story short, and it wouldn't have been, by the way, but long story short, at the end of the movie, Dash gets to compete in a track meet. And as the starting gun fires, it's obvious Dash is losing on purpose, right? He's just sort of trucking along like this. The pack is leaving him. And his dad yells from the stands, pick up the pace! So, so he looks, remembering he was supposed to lose, and he, and he starts going faster. And he effortlessly takes the lead. And his dad yells, pull back! Pull back! So confused, Dash looks up, and he, and he starts to pull back and lose again. And his dad says, close second! Close second! So Dash speeds up again, and he finishes in a close second. I imagine this is what it was like for Isaiah as he's writing this prophecy. One minute it looks like God is going to wipe this rebellious people off the face of the planet, and the next he's showing Isaiah visions of rescue and restoration. But in the midst of this intermingling of hope and terror, one thing becomes clear. The nation is sick. And it's on a path to destruction. Now, I want you to turn to Isaiah 5. If you've got your Bible, just turn over there. This is going to give us a picture of the state of things. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more? was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Guys, this is tragic. It's tragic. It's heart-wrenching. 
God had done everything for Israel. He cleared the land. He removed its stones of foreign peoples and gods. He set them up with clear boundaries, offered them His protection and loving correction. And in return, God looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This is Isaiah's nation. As a man of God, he's fully aware of its sinfulness. But in chapter 6, Isaiah gets a wake-up call. Now let's look at it together. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Wake up call. Now imagine that you're going about your normal Sunday morning routine, okay? Mom comes through the house, wakes everybody up. Nobody moves the first time. The house gets progressively louder. Pop-tarts, toothpaste, wet hair, trip to the Bogman. Sound familiar? You walk in, Jimmy is talking to Dave Vernetti about halfway down the aisle. Nathan is up here tuning his guitar. And all of a sudden, you see an enormous curtain of fabric coming down and filling this entire auditorium. It's the train of the robe of the Lord. And as you follow it up, up, and ever up, you see the Lord high and exalted. And even higher above the Lord's head, you see angelic beings of fire and feather hovering all around the throne, and they're calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of of His glory, and at the sound of their voices, the Bachman Auditorium begins to shake. No, Signal Mountain begins to shake, and smoke begins to fill the room. All of your senses are bombarded with the holiness of God. Eyes see the Lord and the flaming servants all around. The smoke from the altar of the Lord is so thick, you can not only smell it, but you can taste it. Your ears are full of the resounding call of the seraphim, that God is holy times holy times holy. The ground beneath your feet shakes and quakes, and it is all that you can do to stand upright. Friends, this is my poor attempt to help us see and feel what Isaiah saw and felt that day. And the Apostle John tells us it was no other than Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, Son of God, whom he saw. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And what was the result? Isaiah was undone. Like a blade of grass before a mushroom cloud, it would only be a matter of seconds before the white, hot holiness of the Lord would consume Isaiah in all of his sin. Look at verse 5. 
Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you think Isaiah is just being pious here? Is this some false humility? I don't think so. Isaiah is ruined. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Here are a few verses Isaiah would have known by heart. Listen carefully. Exodus 20.16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Proverbs 12.22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. And it may have been this one that got him. Psalm 101.7, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house, and no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Let me say that again. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. And no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Do you get it? Isaiah was in the house of God where liars can't be. He was before the eyes of God where liars can't stand. And wrapped around Isaiah and printed on his outer garment and dragging miles behind him in an endless trail was false motives, careless words, white lies, and false witness. And he knows it. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes, says the Lord. So Isaiah does not believe that he will continue. Over. You see, this is the wake-up call for Isaiah. If he entered that temple that day, thinking he was any better than his countrymen, a clear vision of the searing holiness of God cured him of it. He was seeing with perfect clarity that the life he had been living was leading to destruction. And at this moment, he expected it. He was right to expect it. But then the strangest thing happened. Grace. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. In the vision, the Lord dispatches one of the seraphim to the altar. Now the Jews made a burnt offering offering on the altar of God, just as he had instructed them in Leviticus for the atonement of sin. And the seraph, he takes tongs, he selects a coal from the altar, and he flies down to Isaiah. Remember in the vision, the seraphim are not next to Isaiah, right? They're up, up, ever up, above and around the face of God. And so I suspect as the burning angelic being is flying down 
toward Isaiah with a live cold, perhaps he's thinking, well, this is it. This is how it happens. Never would have thought it. This is not how I thought it was going to go down. Uh, Flaming being, live coal. That's how it's going down. But rather than lighting him on fire, the seraph touches the coal to Isaiah's mouth. God's grace comes instantly to the repentant sinner. As soon as Isaiah confessed his sin, God dispatched an agent of grace. Think of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Immediately after he humbles himself and puts his faith in Christ, Jesus turns to him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. This same grace comes immediately to the repentant Isaiah. And the coal cleanses his lips the very place of his sin. God's grace in Christ comes and it covers every sin and rescues every sinner personally at the point of their need. So let me take this opportunity right now, two-thirds of the way through the sermon, to preach the gospel to you. If you have seen the holiness of God in His Word this morning, And if you have recognized that you are a man, woman, boy, or girl of unclean lips, turn to Jesus right now. You do not have to wait till the end. Today is the day of salvation. Stop testing God. He has done all things well for you. The fact that you are coherent at this moment hearing these words, it's a mercy from God. You and I, apart from Jesus Christ, we stand before the throne of the three times holy God with all of our lies and flippant words and painful sarcasms, profanities, and false witnesses. And like a blade of grass before that nuclear bomb, our destruction would be nigh. But in His grace, God provided Jesus. To make atonement. And if you turn to Him in repentance right now, the blood of Jesus will take away your guilt and your sin will be atoned for in an instant. Isaiah experienced this. He saw the holiness of God, confessed his sin, experienced the atoning grace of God. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go. Now I'm going to stop us right there for just a second. This newfound grace, it's done something to Isaiah, hasn't it? Grace is no longer just a concept out there in the stratosphere. It's it's something in here. It's a reality that he's experienced personally. He has seen the glory of God, acknowledged his sin, experienced pardon, and become motivated to serve the Lord. Does this progression sound familiar to you? It should, because we rehearse it every single week right here in our gathered worship service. 
We proclaim the holiness and the glory of God through songs and creeds and calls to worship. We confess our sin. We hear an assurance of pardon from the Word of God, and we are motivated, or we should be, to walk out those back double doors and serve the Lord with our lives. Friend, we need to rehearse this gospel every week together. Together. Worship is one of these means of grace. He is holy. We are sinful. He is gracious. So gracious that He took off that robe that filled the temple, climbed down from the throne that was high and lifted up, and He dwelt among us, a people of unclean lips, that His sacrifice might be applied to all who repent and believe the gospel. We forget that. Gathered worship together reminds us. But there's one more thing to say, and it must be said. You see, I stopped us halfway through verse 8. And we might want the passage to stop at verse 8. But notice the very surprising message God sends Isaiah to proclaim. And we won't read it all, but essentially it's this. Go tell this people. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, do not perceive. Israel's heart was hardened against the love and salvation of God. And the more He loved and provided, the harder their hearts became. Now you've heard me say before that the salvation of God and the justice of God go hand in hand. That's why I think Isaiah's prophecy can be so confusing. That push and pull, that tug between judgment and salvation. Which is it? Will there be justice or mercy? Well, you know there will be both. Upon hearing what the substance of this preaching is going to be, Isaiah, possibly with some regret for speaking up, says, how long should I preach this message? And God replies, until cities are laid waste and the land is desolate, until I have purged this fertile hill, and my vineyard is destroyed. And all that remains is a stump. Now hold on, Eric. You said earlier in this sermon, Isaiah saw a glorious future for the people of God. He does. In the very end of verse 13, the holy seed is the stump. Now, that might not sound like much to you. It's everything. Everything. Barren field, still smoking the morning after the fire of God's judgment has ravaged his vineyard. And in the middle, one lonely stump sawed off. Yes, everything. Because as you approach the stump, miraculously, miraculously, a small branch 
seems to be growing out of the middle of the stump. It's the holy seed. Though God's justice required that He judge, His grace saved a remnant, the stump. And from that stump will come one who will live the way God intended. He will speak words of truth. The Spirit of the Lord will be on Him, and the Lord will anoint Him to preach good news to the poor. This branch will bind up the brokenhearted God will require justice, He will give it. God will require perfect righteousness, He will fulfill it. All of it. Who is this branch coming up from the stump? Well, it's Christ, of course. And as God's vision unfolds, Isaiah begins to see a clearer and clearer picture of this shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. Now turn to chapter 11 and wonder. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Friends, this is hope. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though God judge, he saves a remnant. It's amazing. There's a reason why Isaiah's prophecy is often called the fifth gospel. Because as you read it, you see Jesus coming to save His people. Now in a few minutes, we are going to sing Andrew Peterson's awesome song, Is He Worthy? And we're going to sing these words. He's the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave He is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. That's that root that's coming from the stump of Jesse. Jesse's David's father, if you don't know. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us, us, a kingdom of priests to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? (laughs) He is. He is worthy. This, my friends, is the glorious future that Isaiah saw for the remnant of God. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, took off his robe, climbed down from the throne, went to the cross, and ransomed the slaves of sin, us, from every tribe, every people, every nation, and every tongue. And if we're in Him, our guilt is taken away. And our sin is atoned for. That small branch growing up from the stump of the remnant of the people of God will grow to a multitude, a multitude, a number beyond count of those who are redeemed by the Lamb. Let's pray.
Father, <laughs> this news is too good. It's too good for us that though we are a people of unclean lips, that your grace would fly to us and cleanse us at the point of our need, that we could be grafted into the tree that's growing out of that stump. Father, it is too good, but we believe it for the sake of Christ. Amen.